Las Vegas, famous, fabulous playground of the West. A wide open town that never goes to sleep. Vegas! Vegas, baby! Vegas! You're either in or you're out. Right now. My best mates are going to Las Vegas this weekend. I'm told it's incredible. Las Vegas, here we go! Pack your bags and get ready. You're going to Vegas with someone who knows Vegas inside and out. This is Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi, the podcast. Well, as you know, Vegas is now famous for sports. We got a great hockey team, an NFL team coming out here, and there's just it's always been a boxing haven. And we got one of the best sports writers in the country. He's got some great books. Thrilled to have him on again. His name is Rob Mish. Among his books are Phenom, The Making of Bryce Harper, which is a local boy here in town, uh, who really is fa- fa- fantastic. One of the most important books in sports, in my opinion, ever written, 11th Heaven, about Ed O'Bannon, and we're going to talk about that, and of Cowards and True Men, interesting story from the world of boxing. And he's got one coming out, and we'll have him on again to really get into it, but we'll just kind of touch with him. That's called Sports Betting and Winners. Rob, talk before we even get started, these books are all fantastic. I, I recommend people to go on Amazon, buy them all, but... There's a process to this, right? Because I, I know some sports writers have a tendency, the daily columnists or some, and they just kind of take all their old paper things right. and put, kind of put them together. Yours have a different feel to them, almost like a novel. It's nonfiction. <laughs> but first of all, first and foremost, if and when I ever need an agent, <laughs> I'm going to replace him with you. That was a great <laughs> introduction. Thank you, sir. Uh, very honored. Uh, it is a whole different deal doing a book. It, um, it, it takes your heart and soul, and hopefully you reflect that in the pages. And It's hard work, right? I mean, it's, 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 it's big. There's a reason, and I'm not saying this to be funny. There's a reason that I'm single. There's a reason I've never been married, no kids, none of that, because this takes every waking moment. And, and it's been that way for me since I got out of San Diego State almost a little more than 30 years ago. The writing is first and foremost, and to convey... What you see, what you smell, what you're feeling, yeah. There's there's a definite art to that. Hopefully, yeah. that's what is conveyed. Um, you mentioned the uh, uh, Kenny Adams story of cowards and true men. He, he's just a fantastic veteran boxing trainer who is so under the radar. When you mix what he has achieved as an amateur coach um, with what he has done as a professional coach, he has tutored 26 world champions in the professional ranks. In the amateur ranks, he took Fort Bragg in Texas and turned it into a nothing boxing entity, into the premier boxing camp of all military personnel, every level. And and he made it just a... I I think they won eight of ten armed forces championships. So what he has done in the amateur and pro ranks isn't equaled. There's no parallel. You know, and so to to come across him the way I did, and to be able to tell his story, it's just a crude, vulgar, raw world. To see that up close every day was something else. To put it on the pages 
hopefully it came across well, and that's as what you do. true. These are these great biographies and stories of these people where these are inc- all three of the people really that you talk about are incredible men. Yeah. And I, I found out about you actually from our buddy Steve Carp, who I went to college with. Wow. And he goes, you want to read a book, Steve? Read that. You know, just read that. His stuff is good. And I, you know, I started with the Bryce Harper yeah. thing. But all three books really – these are incredible people, and it sounds like you, you really, as part of this, really get to know them and understand them. And these are, they're not just nameless, faceless athletes. These are really great human beings. Yeah, I'm fortunate in that respect. You know, obviously, you want to, if you're going to turn your life over to something so long term, it better be worth it. So hopefully, I know them pretty well. I have an idea of what, what I'm getting into. But you never know. You never know what's around the corner. And that's the beauty of, of why I enjoy what yeah. I'm doing. You don't ever, ever know what's around the corner. And when, once you think you do, you've lost it. So you've got to keep your eyes and ears open and keep that schnoz open. Because yeah. there's some different stuff coming and be ready for it. Well, the Kenny Adams book was great to me because I always knew that boxing is you know, kind of a seedy world. Yeah. But, you, you know, you read this and you realize you could almost feel the sweat off these dirty walls and these people. It's really like their last chance for any kind of respectability. And then a guy like that that can turn all these people into champions is just incredible. The desperation is incredible. You and I both know you referred to it. We've always known about boxing. We've always known it's seedy. It's tough. It's brutal. We've always known that. But for me to see it on a day-to-day basis in sparring, what they do to get themselves prepared for that, to let's face it, to be warriors, well, there's so much you don't see behind the, the curtains. Yeah. And to be able to see that was off the charts. Uh, to see, he, he did something he never has done, and he probably never will again. He took a female under his wings. Wow. I won't name her, but she's in the book, and she's just a crude figure, just like up from the sewer. And, and to see her every day, she had this goal. She wanted to get in the Olympics, uh, but you knew it wasn't going to happen. You just knew it. You knew she, she didn't have the attention. She didn't have the concentration. She didn't have the passion. She was all bark, all talk. That's what Kenny doesn't like to deal with. What I saw her do one day in the ring during sparring, she was going against this 16-year-old Hispanic kid. And he was tough. He's not going to let this woman beat her. At one point, she moved in close and bit him in the chest. Oh. And you could see, you could see the teeth marks in his yeah. chest. It was almost to where blood was coming through. I remember her giggling, going back to her corner, and they were tending to him, not knowing what to do. The yeah. owner of the ring should have booted her out permanently, but then he acquiesced. She's a woman. Let's let her Let's give her one more chance. She had so many last chances. Anyway, she goes back to the ring, and I think Kenny made some kind of smart aleck remark. How'd that taste? And she goes, like ketchup. Oh. I mean, I mean, wow. a new thing every day and just between the eyes, and it was just wow. Yeah. Well, I, you know, people have seen Raging Bull, and yeah. I think that book takes it to another level because it was about Jake LaMotta. Right. But Jake LaMotta was a big boxing star, and his life was tough. So these are people that you never heard of. Right. And that's why what he does, Kenny Adams is great that you wrote the book because people don't know who he is. Right. Yeah. Well, people in the business do, but I mean, outside of that, people really don't know this guy. And I was very honored for to, to be given that right. Yeah, and then he was, he was, I mean, there was no, no, uh, there was, what am I looking for? Um, 
we were working without a net. He was a complete open book, didn't care what he said. He was himself, and he didn't care how I quoted him because I quoted him as he talks. Uh, I wouldn't let my mom read the book. She's my biggest fan, and <laughs> she loves what I do, as, of course, any mother would. But once I was about to come out with this one, I said, you know, this is one that you're not going to read. This is not, this yeah. is not for uh, Girl Scouts, choir boys, right. uh, or nuns. No, no, no. This is, every page is no holds back. What's interesting about all three of these books is I talked to Pat Williams, who was the general manager of the Orlando Magic for a while, and he's an inspirational speaker and yeah. stuff. And he talks about these three people. There are, you can really learn about leadership. If you read those three books, you can learn about leadership and kind of a pride. You know, and all three of them are different, but there's, you can see those things run through. Did you do that as you're talking to them? You kind of see, like, these are special folks. Pretty much. You can, you can see that, and that's what you want to convey, that you know, and, and you want to show. You don't want to tell. Right, you know, right. I, I, don't, I don't really care what you say. Words are so cheap. It's what you do. It's how you act when no one's looking. That's well, talk what about matters. Bryce Harper for a second because you'd followed him and gone through. And when we talked last, he was still a member of the Washington team. Yeah. Were you surprised at what Philadelphia did for him? I mean, I, I wasn't after reading the books. I'm thinking, yeah, this is the type of guy that it's worth to kind of turning over the, the books to in a way because he's one of the few people that maybe are worth is worth putting up your you know seasons for the next 15, 20 years, whatever. Very odd contract. 13 years yeah. of... I don't want to say servitude, because when you're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars, yeah, it's not servitude. There's, yeah, there's nothing that where doesn't come into play a lot. But he's he's you know there's no trade contact contract. Yeah. You know, I mean, they are married for 13 years. There's no out. There are no outs on on either party. It's such a weird deal. It's it's really different. You just don't see that nowadays. Right. And and now on one hand, that deal is what he has been striving for for ten plus years. Mm-hmm. It's it's why he was a monster in Little League. It's why his dad, tough steel worker on the strip, he'd get home two PM and work him out every day. I mean, this is what that family was yeah. aiming for. To hit the lottery at yep. that year when he was an unrestricted free agent. I thought the Nationals did the dumbest thing when when he was tradable with a year to go. There's no way they're going to pony up for him. There's just no way. You need to trade him. You need to get something for him. Right. And they never did. They were always under the the understanding that they they thought they could resign him. And I just thought no way. No way. That guy's he's going for big bucks. What I don't understand is and we're getting into some nitty-gritty here that I hope doesn't bore people he stopped betting on himself now by that i mean hey 330 million good for you you and your next generations are set right you know so i look like a fool no matter what i say here but he stopped betting on himself because if the dodgers and the giants were after him like they were rumored to be we were looking at probably uh what four years 160 million Roughly, yeah. those teams were in the market for him. So I thought he was going to do, say, the Dodgers or the Giants, be more West Coast. Friends and family could see him so easily. Uh, he could dodge the mosquitoes in the in the east and the yeah. crappy weather and be more close to home and just more of a homey environment. Um, 
And, and I thought by betting on himself, he could take a four-year deal with either of those teams. Let's say it was $150 million. Um, and then if at the end of that four years both parties are happy with each other, let's extend that for another four years at the same terms. Yeah. Let's just say that that's within the realm of possibility and, and, and likely. That's, that's possible that that could have happened. Well, you're looking at the end of eight years, he will have made almost what he's made in 13 years with his Phillies deal. You're looking at, at four-plus years of gravy at the end of that, if we're talking about that 13-year you know, uh, time span. Now, you've dedicated your life to sports, though, Rob. From the fan's perspective, I, Oakland A's fan, I watch guys come and go all the time. You, yeah. you just get to like them, and then, boom, they're going to some other place. I'm thinking for the Phillies, if you're a Phillies fan, you know he's going to be around there. That kind of commitment he made to the team – doesn't outside of guys like Tony Gwynn and you know Kirby out Kirby Puckett out in Minnesota, and my you guy Robin Yount with the Brewers, Robin Yount, yeah, one team for twenty years, yeah. You know, so I mean, he did the he did the game a good service in that regard. I mean, he yes. wins no matter which way you look at. It, well, in 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 a sense, uh, unless you want to factor in that Philly equation, there's there's some toughness there. Yeah. You know, when you boo Santa. Yeah, right. <laughs> You're in a whole different realm. And so that's what he was walking into. I'm not so sure he understood that. Maybe he did. He's a bright guy. He, he's one of the brightest young kids I have ever come across. I've said this before. As far as uh, young kids, I mean, let's talk about people under 18. So people that I would have dealt with in high school. He is in a class with only one other person I've come across in my life, and that's Baron Davis. Really? As far as... Yeah. Those are two guys wise beyond their years. You would ask either of them a question. I remember talking to Barron when he was being recruited by UCLA. This is a guy who took a recruiting trip to Michigan. Now, he was never going to be a Wolverine. There's no way he was ever going to Michigan. He was going to stay close to home and play for his grandma, where his grandma could relatives could come and see him play but he took that recruiting trip to michigan so that he could time it where his recruiting trip coincided with the notre dame michigan football game he always wanted to see the notre dame michigan football game that's <laughs> wow, the only reason yeah. only reason he did that but smart um you couldn't get questions by him or them either one of them you know they they were thoughtful and with bryce i remember he would often give uh, to some people some some pretty straightforward raw answers yeah with the follow-up, if you didn't like the answer, you shouldn't have asked the question. Wow. He did something else that was very, very uh, impressive that I would bet major leaguers don't do today. I remember my first interview with him was during the March Madness. The college hoops tournament was going on. Right. Uh, CSN, College of Southern Nevada, was playing a doubleheader that day. Coach Tim Chambers was resting him the first game. Mm -hmm. He was in the clubhouse all alone, and I knew he was in there all alone. By then, I had talked to all of his teammates. I didn't want to talk to him. I'd never even introduced myself to him. I wanted him to think he was the last person on my mind. Meantime, he's the whole reason I'm there. Right. <laughs> I didn't want him to think I gave a damn about him. So finally, I go into the clubhouse. I knew he was there. There he is. He goes, hey, Mish, you're finally going to talk to me, huh? And I had to laugh about that. I said, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, your teammates are pretty important, too. And he said, yeah, they are. They're, they're the big reason I'm here. But my point was I sat down with him, and it was my first extended conversation with him. And my first question was, tell me about being a pioneer. One thing his coach, Tim Chambers, told me, which convinced me to embark on this project, was this is a one-off. Nobody's ever done this before. Nobody will ever do this again. 
skip high school after your sophomore year, get your GED, yeah. go to a junior college 10 miles from your front door that just happens to hit with wood. You can prove you belonged on the cover of Sports Illustrated when you were 16. Be the number one pick. Your career is off. It all fell into place with him. But him going to College of Southern Nevada... I asked him about being a pioneer. Nobody's ever done this. Nobody will ever do this again. This is a one-off. What about being a pioneer? He looked at me and said, and he kind of laughed a bit, and he goes, Frank Robinson, Willie Mays, Jackie Robinson, Larry Doby. He goes, what those guys did, when they did it, and the ramifications, and what they were up against, those are the pioneers. I'm just a kid trying to play baseball. Now, he said something in that sentence, Larry Doby. Yeah. Larry Doby was the first black player in the American, the American League for the right. Cleveland Indians. I bet you could ask major leaguers today, and I bet 90% of them don't know, know the significance of Larry Doby, and he knew it. You'll hear more from Rob Mish, prolific sports author, in just a moment. But first, when you visit Las Vegas, you're always looking for fun things to do, and I think one thing you got to put on your list is the Neon Museum. It's fantastic. What a way to learn the history of Las Vegas, but by the signs that go back all the way to the 1930s. The lobby, in fact, is a restored shell from the old La Concha Motel. It's a lot of fun. The staff there is incredible. Really unique Las Vegas experience, so you can learn the history and have a blast. Go to neonmuseum.org. That's neonmuseum.org. You are listening to Rob Mish, author of Sports Betting for Winners, a new book that explores the history of sports betting in Vegas. Now, your book, to me, my take of Bryce Harper was he thought of everything. I mean, this guy thinks everything. He thinks, like, what's the smartest way to drive from here to there? Which way am I going to see the best things? Absolutely. I mean, it was fascinating. Absolutely. His first game, uh, a cold January night. I remember I could see my breath. Uh, uh, late in the game, they had finally figured out, boy, this guy's he, he, he had hit a triple, doubled, or whatever. He had yeah. just been fantastic. Late in the game, they're walking him intentionally. Ball one outside, mm-hmm. ball two outside. He's got a guy on third. He wants an RBI. Ball three comes in wide. He reaches out and lunges and smacks it to the warning track. Wow. The, his teammate <laughs> on third base didn't even expect yeah. it. The third base coach had to say, TK, Trevor Kirk. Yeah. Trevor, get in there. Oh, yeah. He forgot he had to run. You know, he could yeah, right, go he in would, and score. Yeah. He'd never seen that before, lunging out on a, a purposeful ball. And so, he's like you said, always thinking ahead, a step or two ahead. Uh, so all of this was in his um, uh, the dominoes fell perfectly for him to sign for 330 what? for the Phillies this was planned 10 years yeah ago. you covered all sports and I in my early days I covered football baseball basketball and so forth and I always thought the baseball players they were the least uh, you would think they were of all the group at least from an interview standpoint they were kind of a Playing and going minor league baseball from the start, and they weren't as polished as the football and basketball guys right. were because at least they were at a college. But this broke that whole mold because this guy was so sharp and so forth. And I, if he wasn't going to do it in baseball, he probably could have done it in another sport, maybe broke, not to the same level. Broke a lot of molds, yeah. I remember the coach obtained a test from one of his classes. I don't know what the class was. I don't know what the test was, but the professor – made an issue and wanted to bring this into the coach and show him as like, hey, you know, what am I dealing with here? I think it might have been composition. That was the class he didn't do well in. Flip the test over. He was practicing his autograph on the back. The back of the test had about 50 or 60 of his autographs. He was just getting in practice. That's something. What an incredible guy. (laughs) 
But, okay, so we talked about Bryce Harper. We talked about Kenny Adams. But it's the, I think it was the middle book, actually, the Ed O'Bannon book, which, tell us a little. Ed O'Bannon might be one of the most important players when you think of the history of the NC2A and college basketball. And apparently what you say is Ed O'Bannon was probably was lucky that he's the one guy that could do this, could try to fight some of this stuff because he was a smart guy and got the worst of it. Kind of give us an overview of what he went through. Boy, what a backbone in that guy. Um, Whatever, however the NCAA changes, and that's a slow crawl, however in 20 years it is benefiting athletes, it can all be traced to Ed O'Bannon and the court case he was involved with for seven-plus years. Uh, nobody wanted to be the face of that court case, and he stepped up, and he became the face of that lawsuit, yeah. which is ultimately they want reciprocation for uh, all that they do, for right. their representation, for their likeness, for, you know, it's, it's a, that NCAA basketball tournament is the cash cow for the NCAA. I think they make... 80 to 90% of their operating revenue from that one single basketball tournament for three weeks. And it's just a matter of them getting their fair share of the pie. Whether you agree with it or don't agree with it, it's what he stood up for. And, I mean, I saw that. I told you before we went on air that uh, I was fortunate to get the, the UCLA job covering football and basketball for the Pasadena Star News in August 1990. And my very first story for the newspaper was this kid, Ed O'Bannon, from Lakewood Artesia High School right there in Southern California. Tarkanian had let him out of his verbal agreement with the Rebels because of uh, the NCAA, of course, coming down hard on them. Um, And then Ed, being let out of his uh, verbal agreement, wound up at UCLA the day I got the job, the day I started at the Pasadena Star News. So my first story for that newspaper was Ed O'Bannon kind of coming home, staying yeah. home for, for the, uh, the powerhouse in town. Yeah. Um, we got to know each other really well, and uh, it was just a few months later where he tore his accruciate ligament, his ACL, Mm-hmm. And it was more damage than that. It was it was an incredible injury. It was so severe. It was I think nine days before fall camp opened, and uh, what they ended up doing was taking the Achilles tendon from a cadaver and transplanting that in his ACL. So in effect, he was getting a new ACL. And uh, the good thing about that body tissue is that blood type didn't matter it was it was just the strength of it and the match and you know sewing it upright and you better have a good 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 surgeon and that's what i was leading to before we went on the air is the most incredible thing maybe that i've ever witnessed in my life is uh in may 2013 working on the the um, UCLA 95 book. It's called 11th Heaven. That was their 11th title. So that's kind of the, the twist of the title. And it's, it's a look back. It came out on the 20th anniversary of them winning that crown. And it's really a look back at everybody who had a part in that title 20 years later and exactly how it happened, why it happened. I visited the surgeon in May 2013. This is... 23 years roughly after that operation visited the surgeon in his office we talked for a few hours i went home i trans came back to vegas transcribed the tape 
and I had to call the surgeon back and I said, he told me he had a tape of the operation. It's almost six hours. And I said, Doc, hate to impose. You don't have to let me, but is there any chance I can come back down there and see you and can I see the tape? Can I see the operation? He goes, heck yeah. But you'll have to come to my house because it's somewhere in the garage. I've packed it away. So a few weeks later, I went to his Malibu home and he dug out a VHS tape of his six-hour operation. And there was only one TV in his whole house that had the VHS apparatus, and that was in his master bedroom. So it was funny because a couple hours later, his wife came home from grocery shopping, and I'm in their bedroom. I'm in the (laughs) bedroom with her husband watching the tape of arguably the masterpiece surgery of his life. And the the most amazing thing was sitting on the foot of his bed watching him watch his handiwork and and it was he's proud of it too it was, and he should be and he's look and, and i hate blood i yeah. can't stand blood the first 45 minutes of the operation was suctioning blood out of his oh. knee and i mean i was ready i i hated you know to how look long you could do it huh? i couldn't not look i yeah. mean it was the train wreck of all train wrecks I thought I needed a bucket next to me because yeah. it was the grossest thing I've ever seen. And Ed had given me clearance. Ed, Ed would have said, hey, go ahead. You got my permission to watch it. And the, the surgeon was very nice to me also. He said, hey, you know, I don't have to go through any hoops and ladders as far as HIPAA releases yeah. and everything. But I did. I did get Ed to sign a release, and I showed it to the doctor. I wanted everybody to know that yeah, they right. knew what I was doing, what I was doing it for. Right. And, I mean, I took pictures of this. And, and for 45 minutes, he's suctioning blood, and he's just like, man, the blood just wouldn't stop. He's never seen blood like that before out of an, out of an operation. And then he showed me all of the damage. It was just beyond description. And, and I'm looking, but I don't want to look, and I'm hiding <laughs> my eyes. And it was the grossest thing. Uh, again, I took pictures, and... Uh, we ended up not running pictures in the book uh, for technicality reasons. Um, but that was just amazing to see that operation 23 yeah. years after the fact. And it was that operation which enabled him to come back and be the fierce warrior in 94-95 that led them to the national title. And the story within the story of him, him being that indomitable lion was was just ferocious. It was just, I never could have imagined, as a beat writer, you think you know what's going on. You think you got a good idea of what the players are thinking, what they think of each other, what they think of the coach, what they've just had for dinner last night, the fights one of them just might have had with another one. You don't know anything. There's no way. You know, being able to go back and get into detail of everything, I had no clue what was going on. No clue. It was... uh, what it takes. It was fantastic. Yeah. And, and everything that went into him, you know, you can extrapolate that, and that's the guy whose face needs to be on a lawsuit that's taken on the NCAA because, like I said, he has a steel spine, and he's indomitable, and yeah. it's fantastic that he lives here in town. He's, he just started his second year of uh, teaching on the um, east side. He's doing great, loves teaching, and That's great. He's just, just an incredible person, like you said. Well, you know, there was a South Park where they actually kind of made fun of the fact where the Cartman goes in to see the University of Colorado and goes, "Let me get this straight. These guys make all this money for you. You don't pay them anything. Oh, that's slavery." 
And, you know, a lot of people don't like talking. They go, oh, they're getting a free college education. But the kind of money they do and the kind of money that's raised from, from these athletes, I, and it took a lot of guts because you'd think everybody would be on their side. It had to go up against a lot of people. Like you say, that was gutsy. At, at a cost to him that yeah. was prohibitive because he has been trying to get gigs as an assistant coach broadcasting gigs and and as soon as potential employers knew his involvement with this lawsuit wow even now backed away wow yeah because they didn't want to be associated with that and i'm and i'm being very general in my terms but yeah he he paid for it his kids paid for it in derogatory terms you know um, yeah wow they're their peers who don't know any better, who hear something from whomever, and you know, second and third hand jokes or whatever yeah. the innuendo. It's not fair, uh, but to go down the rabbit hole of of compensation, it's it's really tricky and really complex. Yeah, because now you're dealing with, okay, you're going to be a worker. You're yeah. gonna, you're on the clock. Uh, then insurance has to come with that. Yeah. And there's a lot of issues as far as you're going to pay basketball and football players who bring in the lion's share of money, of revenue. But with Title Title 13, yeah. is it Title 19 title or nine. Title 9? Title I'm yeah, sorry. No. I get the Roman numeral no, screwed up. <laughs> title 9, you're going to pay X to a hoopster, you got to pay X to a volleyball player. Right. You got to pay X to the female soccer yeah, so it's player. Difficult. If one gets it, they all get it. But and I thought so, it, I thought it was great because he he had the guts to go up against the NC two A, which is a bunch of pious right. people, phonies who pick and choose who they like and who they don't. Right. I mean, this horror story. I talked to a couple of journalists that were from the University of North Carolina. And you know, this stuff is going on. They know about it. But Dean Smith was there, so they looked the other way. Yep. It's a, it's a phony group, and they're supposed to be out for the kids. I thought what O'Bannon did took a lot of guts. I it, really did. It did. And, and he knew he was laying the groundwork for future yeah. actions. You know, kind of like Kurt Flood. He's the guy getting right, out of it. Absolutely, the, yeah. Total perfect corollary. He's he laid the the groundwork for some other people to take the baton. Whether it happens in ten years, twenty years, twenty five years, I've always thought in my lifetime there's going to be something else other than the NCA governing wow. college sports. I don't I know in what that. manner. I don't know if there has to be an umbrella organization just over basketball and football. Yeah. Maybe that's how they get away from the title line. I don't know how it's going to happen, when it's going to happen. All I know is Ed had the guts to be the guy, yeah. to be the, the the first one. Yeah, and I felt like he kind of opened the door where you see criticism now, the NC2A. Before, nobody talked about it. Yeah, you know, they'd put out these these great edicts and they'd ruin people's careers, lives, reputations, and everybody just looked the other way. Right. Now with him, it's not a it's not a foregone conclusion. Right. You know, you can and find and it. it's so much dirtier than you or I can fathom. No, it's yeah. it's the tentacles are so deep and dirty and scummy and grubby and greedy. I could go on and on, but let's talk about some fun stuff. Well, yeah, let's, <laughs> let's do that. Let's talk about a couple of things. First of all, I, I want to get your feel on the sports yeah. scene around here. But before we do, the book you're writing, so now you're writing one about sports gambling. Yeah. So kind of what brought this on, and uh, we're, we're going to get you on again when the show's yeah. out, and we'll talk about we that We could do a hour, whole <laughs> hour on this. Uh, it's going to come out in two months. It's called Sports Betting for Winners. The publisher in New York, Kensington, they found me through a channel mm-hmm. of people uh, about exactly a year ago, and uh, we came to some terms. We came to a, a timeline. I had I had four months to turn this around. Yeah. I had September first to January second, and I I 
a big part of me accepting this. I mean, money's always nice. Yeah. But a big reason I took this was four months from nothing to finished manuscript. In my mind, there's no way. Yeah. I've never done that. I think the quickest I had turned one around was 13 months with the previous three. It just it blew my mind that something like that could be done so fast, and 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 I, I it was a challenge for myself. Did you like the experience of that? Because that is totally loved it. different. Like, loved it, absolutely loved it. It 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 turned how I operate. It it turned it it turned my um, whole operation into such a leaner type of of deal um i geez, it made you a better writer in a way well, just because I, you get the, at least I, you know you can do this type of a really for dick. sure for sure and i turned it in the morning of new year's day january 1st so one thing i always have done with every publisher you give me a deadline i'm gonna beat it it might be by an hour it might be by a week it might be by a month but i'm gonna beat any deadline you give me so i knew with january 2nd i knew my my real deadline was was new year's eve at midnight yeah. So, because I'm turning it in, in the very you know dawn the next day. Um, well, it's a different subject because usually you're taking these in-depth looks at these great people. Right. Now this is going to be a little bit different. It is. It is. Um, they they wanted something to capitalize on the growing industry of sports betting in this country. Obviously, uh, eight six, a year and a half ago, so the Supreme Court struck down the mandate where. Uh, all of a sudden states can decide their own fate with sports betting. And so it was obvious that this thing's going to get big and big and bigger and bigger. And so the publisher wanted to capitalize on this, and they wanted a book on sports betting. It was just that kind of generic you know, ask of me. And I said, well, I, I thought about it for a few days, and I said, well, well, listen, here's my idea. I know some people in town, and I think they could lead me to some other people in town. I mean the brightest, the smartest the, the people who do this for a living and don't boast about it. Um, Jay Cornegay on the other side of the yeah. counter at the Westgate. I, I've known him, fortunately, almost uh, as long as I've lived here, 17 years. So maybe he could let me behind the curtains and see how all that operates. Uh, and I explained it. Why don't I tell this story in uh, a variety of ways through the experts and professionals and veterans who have lived it and breathed it for decades uh, on both sides of the counter. You've been listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi, the podcast, with new shows loaded twice weekly. Got a guest idea? Email us at info at VegasNeverSleeps.com and catch the show live every Sunday, 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific, coast to coast on the BizTalk Radio Network.